Hello, Scott Rockfile, back with another podcast for your ears. Going to be talking about the state of radio and where possibly we need to go. Been in radio three and a half decades, going on four. That's a long time. I got out of traditional terrestrial radio and did some internet radio for a long time and then got back into FM, traditional terrestrial radio, and trying to apply what I know from both in modern times. That's how my life is kind of planned out. So anyway, a variety of things happened in the last couple of days that made me get to this podcast. I usually get to some of these podcasts. I'm not reviewing a specific movie or TV show or album or whatever. Um, It's an idea that got stuck in my head or several ideas, and I wanted to chat about them. So I saw a post from a friend of mine, Victor Wilt. He's a radio programmer, and he programs a rock station that can be very active, very aggressive, very, well, they don't have to play too many edits. I mean, obviously, All FM radio stations fall under FCC license and therefore have to avoid the seven words that you can't say on the radio and that kind of thing. So we do need edits for those kind of things. But he believes that, you know, that's the only reason you should edit music. Leave the growls in, leave the length in, all that kind of stuff. And I don't disagree with most of what he believes in. I think it's great we have a programmer like him out there. He's championing it the music for all the right reasons, all about it. I also think it needs to be tempered with a little of, we're still working in a mainstream medium, but I'll get to that. Radio in the early days was guys with sticks programming music for people to listen to. Eventually there came charts. Uh, These influential disc jockeys would report the favorite songs of the week, their top 10s of the week, their top 20s, and they would report these, and eventually magazines were born like Billboard and other services that tracked singles. Eventually, record store sales got added into it, and eventually, blah, 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 blah. It became a huge thing. It's all divided up these days into ratings and uh, spins and impressions, and uh, it's, it's a thousand permutations of factoids that anybody can pull out of any um, facet of this industry. How many spins did it get? How many people were listening when it got those spins? Um, How many stations are playing it? What markets? The demographics? You can break it down in a gazillion different ways. And through all of that, we've gotten better. I mean, Stations are programmed better or can be programmed better today, but a lot of them aren't. A friend of mine just got back from visiting the lower 48. For those that are new to the podcast, I live in Alaska now after living all over the United States in the Caribbean programming radio. Now I'm programming six radio stations in Alaska, two internet radio stations that reach the world, um, all six of our Alaska stations stream if you'd like to check those out as well, and we have big plans for the future. I have some unique... Um, experience and perspectives on things in radio. I've worked in small markets, I've worked in medium markets, and I've worked in almost, you know, feeder markets to large markets. I've worked for the two largest broadcast entities, pretty high up in their hierarchies where I was given freedom to program and learned how things worked. And I'm not going to talk too much out of school 
talk bad about those companies or whatever, but I'm going to explain how we got to where we've gotten where radio is today and what we need to get back to. It's actually quite simple the more I talk about this. So as I said, my friend Victor believes that, uh, well, the only flaw in his thinking, bands know what their audiences want. I don't know that that's always the case. <laughs> I've quoted Stephen Wilson many times in this um, podcast. He said one time, there's a difference between artists and entertainers. Entertainers want to please everybody. Artists want to please themselves. And I think most bands fall in between those two camps. You have to be certain amount of mainstream, certain amount of successful to be able to pay the bills. If everybody could do exactly the kind of art they wanted to do, well, it'd be great if there was an audience for it, but there, it, it, always, it is not always sustainable, depending on what your art is. As I've told, mentioned in other podcasts, we have a much more diverse audience on the planet than we did when I was younger. So a much wider variety of things are becoming popular in the various mediums. That's a wonderful thing. Variety is the spice of life. But radio, FM radio, still appeals to a mainstream because it's what people pick up for free in their cars. Now, if somebody's paying for a service... That's a whole different ballgame. If somebody has to jump through several hoops to listen to a service, well, that's a different ballgame as well. I'm talking about the average radio listener, the average person who gets a diary sometimes, the average person who kind of keeps a normal schedule, listens to the radio at certain times of the day, listens to the same stations. Those people still exist out there. If you believe the bean counters and the number hounds of the world, nobody's listening to the radio anymore, but that's not entirely true. Is it harder to find an AM dial on new cars? Yes. Will radios eventually go away? Possibly. But like in a market like ours, radio is still a vital thing. We're kind of isolated. We don't really have any TV stations on the peninsula. Anchorage does, but not here. So radio is it for news, information, entertainment. Everybody still has one in their vehicle. A lot of people have them in their businesses. A lot of people have them in their homes. It's how we connect. And so this, in, in some aspects, is like old school radio that I grew up with, that I, I came up with. The first radio stations I worked at were in small towns, and radio was pretty much everything because they didn't have TV stations. So they had small TV stations that only ran a few hours a day and that kind of thing. It's a whole different ballgame nowadays, but you get the picture. But so bands have to put out art. People have to buy said art to fund the band to continue to make said art. A lot of bands are shooting in the dark sometimes. They're writing songs that they like, and they hope the audience likes them. I, I don't always believe that the band is 100% in touch with their audience, nor should they be. I fall in the Stephen Wilson camp that you really should be on the art side. The entertainment stuff can come when you're older and famous and popular and all that, and then you can just do your 20 greatest hits in concert and go home. But while you're young, hungry, and growing, and as an artist and learning and whatever, you know, you kind of have to put the audience to a side and do what you do. 
the best you can do it. And hopefully they like it. And if they don't, well, you know, it's up to you and them to decide whether or not you're going to follow them or they're going to follow you on the rest of your journey. So that was really the only thing that Victor said. But as far as no edits on things, I, I totally agree with them. If a song is too heavy with growls in it for me to play, I just don't play it. it he was prompted to post what he posted because I guess there were some programmers out there asking for edits without certain harsh vocals in them. I've never done that. I've never asked a record label for an edit of anything. I, I Send me the art, I will play it, or I won't. So if it was too heavy with the growls in it, then I just wouldn't play the song. I wouldn't go back to the label and go, give me a version without that in it. I might say, the song would be better without that, but hey, this is, uh, what am I to It's the band whether or not they fit the sound of my radio station. And that gets into what we're really talking about here. It's one thing to champion new music. My two internet radio stations do that. That is their niche. Every other song. We have even songs and odd songs. Even songs, something in the last 20 plus years musically that you're familiar with. Odd songs, something brand new. Something in a medium, light, or heavy rotation or a recurrent rotation that's come out in the last year, sometimes in the last few weeks or months. They are pushing the idea that there's still great music being made and we're introducing it to people. You're not going to like everything you hear, but you're going to hear a lot of new stuff. And out of that, hopefully you find some new favorites. That is the sound we're going for the radio station. But each radio station, one leans progressive rock, one leans hard rock, has a core sound, a, a, a core set of bands that I chose and said, this is what we're going to build the stations around. Now, if this were Kenai, Alaska, or Los Angeles, California, or Atlanta, Georgia, my company would give me a demographic and an area or whatever Build a radio station to fit this. We want to hit 25 to 50-year-old men. We want to hit 18 to 34-year-old females who work. You know, whatever the demographic is, they will say, we want to build a station for this target audience, and that's my job, to create a format that that audience likes. Well, I'm considered quite an expert in making rock formats, and I've made them for a variety of age groups, demographics, and areas, right? Not every rock station sounds the same. They shouldn't. I've made classic rock stations that played no new stuff for an older, higher-end audience. I've made very young-leaning, active stations with heavier music to go to a younger, more blue-collar audience because that's what was requested of me by the powers that be. Consultants, VPs, the powers that be, whoever, decide that we have these radio stations, these signals in this market, and we need to reach these age groups, demographics, whatever. Let's design radio stations or a group of radio stations that will complete that picture, that will, that will cover as much as the market as they can so they can get advertising, find clients, and that kind of thing. You have to have a, a plan. You have to have an idea of who you're talking to and you're reaching. And so when I design a radio station, I have that, that ultimate listener in mind, no matter who that is. Now, we obviously shoot much wider than this one type of person, but I have to pick that, that quintessential person. So for most rock stations, it's typically a male. It's typically, you know, 20s, 30s, something like that, with a bit of a rock background who has listened to rock music most of their life, whatever. So... 
depending on the market I'm trying to hit, the specific demographic is how heavy or how new a rock station will get. And uh, this this can be applied to just about every format, but I'm picking the one I know the best because it's easier for me to make analogies with. But you get the gist of uh, a classic pop station or a classic country station, whatever. Older demos prefer older music. They haven't done the research. And this is no slight on anybody, but the science shows that the average person after high school and college stops discovering new music. So this plays into the psychology of radio stations. If we're trying to reach 40-year-old people, we don't really need to play something from the last 10 or 20 years because they're not real familiar with it. Just the way it is. So with a lot of stations these days moving towards nostalgic formats because that's where the money is. The older listeners have more disposable cash. And so you want to get those money demographics by playing the music of their youth, the music that they were. And as, as, as our demographics of ages get older and people are living longer and such like that, our formats are getting skewed. They're getting thrown out the window because, well, the question in the rock world is what is classic rock? Is it a certain age of song or a certain sound of song? And I did a podcast not too long ago that said, well, my opinion is it's the sound. Classic rock is a certain sound and I don't care how old the late 90s will get. Some of those late 90s songs will never be classic rock because they just don't sound like classic rock, regardless of how old they are. Classic rock has a certain sound. Zeppelin, Floyd, Stones, Beatles kind of sound. So maybe we need to update some names or whatever, but still the, the, the programming of the radio station doesn't change because you, we still program by eras and dates. And that needs to revolve around the fact that uh, I need to know what the ages of the people listening to this radio station are. So I have a sound in my head. And it's hard to describe, but it's based on those core bands. For any format you go, it's going to sound like, a you know, between this band, this band, this band, this band, or these artists, 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 one, two, three, and four. That kind of makes up the box within the radio station's going to fit within there. When it's rock, I usually pick the heaviest or the oldest to youngest, you know, the, the heaviest to the most melodic and the youngest to the oldest. And I'll say I don't want it to be any heavier than this, or I don't want it to be any louder than this, or any softer than this, or any older than this. And that sets up some parameters for a radio station, right? So for my friend Victor to say things like, leave the growls in and just play those songs, well, I have what I call the Corey Taylor scale of rock and roll. Corey Taylor is the lead vocalist in Slipknot and Stone Sour. And Stone Sour tends to be more mainstream rock, where Slipknot tends to be more metal. Both have songs that cross the line. But for the most part, Slipknot is this, and Stone Sour is that. And so when I come to listening to a new rock song, it's on that scale where it's more Slipknot or it's more Stone Sour. It's more melodic Stone Sour, is it more heavy Slipknot? Or is it melodic Slipknot or heavier Stone Sour? It it's actually a scale that most people can understand because they're familiar with the bands and what he does vocally and all that kind of stuff, and it makes sense to them. So not every rock station plays heavy Slipknot. Not every rock station plays melodic Stone Sour. Well, more rock stations can play <laughs> melodic Stone Sour. But 
there's a certain age we get to where growls, screams, whatever, aren't as appealing as they were when we were younger. This has been the case since Roger Daltrey screamed with the who. This has been the case since, I don't know, growls in corn, growls in Lincoln Park, growls in all the metal in the 21st century. Don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for scar symmetry and slipknot and 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 Lamb of God. I'm I'm not opposed to growls and 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 harsh vocals, but as someone who grew up playing trumpet, harsh is a very tiny bit of my overall spectrum of stuff I like to listen to, and I I have a large variety of rock I like to listen to, but the harsh part for me personally is a small segment and only at the right time, right place. For a lot of people, harsh vocals don't ever compute. There seems to be at a certain age that it that just that ends. And I have been called old school or whatever, and more people than me are that way. But sit with me. I have two internet radio stations, right? And they play a lot of new music. So the numbers fluctuate. People go, I don't know this song, and they tune out and they come back. That's that's kind of what happens with pop stations a lot. Well, I'm hearing the song too much. I'm going to tune out. But they come back because that's where they get all their new music. Well, the same thing with these rock stations. And if I play something that crosses that Slipknot line, that crosses into metal on the hard rock station, or crosses into, um, well, death metal on the prog rock station, because there are, believe me, there's progressive blackened metal bands out there. Go figure. Anyway. We'll do a whole nother podcast on the splintering of, of genres. So anyway, there's a certain number of people, there's, there's a certain number of people who just don't like female vocalists in bands or female disc jockeys. It, and people try and make that a thing. Or pe- people that don't like growls trying to make it a thing. It just is, you know? And so I program to that. If I'm programming to an audience that loves Slipknot and we're going to play a lot of growly Slipknot, then I will play anything else that growls. Why would I not? But if I don't play growling Slipknot and I don't play and you tell me I'm not reaching a I'm not, you know, not hitting the rock audience. Well, I will tell you I'm not hitting that rock audience that you're talking about, but I'll show you the rock audience that I am hitting. To believe that all rock fans like the same rock music these days is insane. We all like different things. It it depends on what we were brought up with, what our favorite things are. For me, I'm much into harmonies and um, lyrical content, how vocal melodies and chord progressions are layered and time signatures and because I'm a musician at heart and I want stuff that's not too simple that doesn't bore me I want to be impressed and even if it's a simple song I want to be impressed at how well it was performed so that's not I'm not a big punk guy I'm not a big underground garage guy because I really like it to sound good I like it to be well produced I like to but that's me personally and I don't put my personal opinions on anything I do for a radio station But I don't just say bands know best because this is now going to go back to how we got here. In the early days of radio stations, you had those programmers who programmed and people said, can we get a list? And they would post the list and they would send them. And then we had magazines and then we had websites and then we have trades. And then we have this whole hierarchy of charts and stuff. 
Well, then consultants get involved and VPs of programming and then these groups of radio stations where you've got a handful of guys controlling 20, 30, 40, 50 rock stations or hundreds of stations. Now, being on the inside of both Clear Channel before it was iHeartRadio and Cumulus from its early days, I will tell you that, well, like a lot of things in the world, there aren't conspiracy theories and there was no thought to we're going to do things badly or we're not going to do things for artistic reasons. But when you get large and you're dealing with large numbers, it's easy to fall back on actual numbers you get. You, you do a lot of research, a lot of call out, and these for each market becomes little Bibles. And we know that this Stevie Nicks song tested badly in this city, but it tested great in this city. And they use all those numbers everywhere they go. And Eventually, you get to a point where you've taken all the programming out of it and you're programming the top 100 songs based on those numbers or the top 50 songs in each category or whatever. And while to a certain extent that's very helpful and and overall you're hitting close to the mark, it still takes a creative and um, talented programmer to look at all those numbers and then plug them in listen to the radio station and go, it's still not right. It's still, we still have more tweaking to do. I think that's what a real radio programmer does. He takes all of the different pieces, parts. With my two new stations that are targeted at new music, it would be easy for me to stay a week or two behind the charts and just add what everybody else is adding. But that's not what I'm known for. And so I actually listen to all the songs. And in less than 60 seconds, I'll know whether the song is going to fit my radio station or not. I listen to my stations all the time. I listen, I, I rotate through my six FM and AM stations and my two internet stations constantly when I'm not listening to new music. And so I hear what's playing on them and I, I know what will sound out of place. So as I bebop around between those stations and I come back and listen to some new music and then I go back, I go, oh, that, that song, that's never going to fit. You know, it's not going to fit on any of those. Or wow, I need to really put that on that station because it really sounds good and needs to fit. That's, I don't think a lot of program directors trust themselves to do that. Even my consultant, love him to death. I got a brand new song a few weeks ago and I said, I'm going to throw it in. Well, it's early and nobody knows. I, I don't care that it's early and nobody is past judgment on it. I'm professional enough. I trust my opinion enough that I will pass judgment on it and will decide to play the song. Funny, two to three weeks later, hey, you should really play that song. Oh, you're already playing it. Yeah. I don't hit 100% out of the park, but at least I'm trying. And so there's where the people like Victor need to meet with the people like consultants and VPs. It's great to have all that research. But that's not the end of the story. That's not how we program radio stations. And I will tell you that a lot of the big corporate stations are programmed the way they sound because they don't have enough people to do it any other way. A lot of those markets got shrunken. Uh, they cut a lot of the people. And they program, you know, they got one or two programming people in each market and the VPs connect with them every week and they tell them we're going to add this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then they trust them to do it. 
But sometimes there's so few people in these operations, they can barely just keep up with what they need to do in a day. So they're not doing that extra due diligence of extreme listening and maybe tweaking some rotations or whatever. They're waiting for the VP or the consultant to come in and do that for them because they really don't have time. Their, Their day is filled with all sorts of other stuff. This also happens not only in the big corporate markets, but in the smaller markets now that had to do some cost cutting. And they've got one guy running the entire show. He doesn't have time to do all the extra work to put the icing on the cake, to put the sizzle on the steak, you know, to to take what a consultant or basically what numbers can program and turn that into a flower, turn that into art, turn that into something. That's what the earliest program directors did. They were crafting radio stations, regardless of what the ratings, before ratings, before consultants, before VPs, it was just making a great sounding radio station. And when I got to Alaska, none of the stations here were broken. They all sounded pretty good. It took sitting down and listening to them for hours at a time to go, this one really needs this, this, and this. And this one really needs this, this, and this. They look fine on paper. They sound good if you listen to them, spot check them. But when you really sit down and listen to them for hours, like another human would, you find that there are things you need to fix, things you need to adjust. I would like there to be, it would be nice if all program directors had that talent, but they don't. That's why some of them are better than others. And championing the bands and not wanting to play edits. Victor, I love you, and I love everybody like us who believe that. I try not to play edits on my internet radio stations, FCC or otherwise. We don't have an FCC for internet radio, so I can play non-edits, but I mean even longer songs. When Ozzy released the title track from his new album to rock radio, the album cut is over seven minutes long. Now, it's got some stuff that, you know, some sound effects and stuff that's not really part of the song, but still... It's a long song. And most rock stations are playing the four to five minute edit. My rock station is playing all seven minutes of it because we like to play the album cuts because that's what you're going to buy when you buy the album. And hopefully you do buy the album. That's my part of, well, I should play an edit because I'm a mainstream radio station, but this is also a station that doesn't want to play edits. I don't want to play... I don't want to cut anything out of songs. Now, again, if the song is too heavy in places, I dropped a song by two bands that are working together right now. It's a pretty popular song. It's in the top 10, top 20, whatever. But by the end of it, it just really sounded out of place on my radio stations. It just got really heavy, really aggressive, really growly. Um, Again, I'm someone who listens to Cannibal Corpse on occasion. I don't have a problem with growly music, but... It has to fit the radio station. And there's a certain segment of audience who, when the growls come on, they just turn off. They tune out. They would go to another radio station. I can, I meant to make that point earlier when I brought up my internet radio stations. I can literally watch people on these stations that are targeted at new music leave for stuff that's too heavy or too weird or whatever. I watch it go up and down. And you can track that over time. And if I play the same song a few times in a day and come back a few days later and look at how that tracks over time and it consistently goes down when it comes on, well, that's better than somebody testing it in some auditorium where they played five seconds of it and people said they didn't like it. This is actual organic. People are listening to my radio station and tuning out when that song keeps coming on and they keep tuning out. They didn't build a love for it. It, it, it still is not hitting them very well. That song will get pulled. 
Sometimes I pull a song after a couple weeks if I see that kind of trend. Now, there is a fine line between programming to people and programming what I feel. That doesn't happen very often. The song consistently trends down. But every once in a while, I, I make a call. I'll say, we can go this heavy, or we can go this light or this weird, and we can't. And I see that in, what, in the listening. But for the most part, I'm really not going to pay a whole lot of attention to that unless it's just shooting me in the face. Because in the end, I need to stick to my guns on programming the radio station that I think these people want to hear. Feedback is a big part of it. Research is a big part of it. What's available out there is a big part of it. But in the end, how does it sound all mixed together when you're listening to it 24-7? So, that's how I program. That's what we need to get back to. How does it sound compared to your radio station? Not how many other stations are playing it. Now, my consultant does a great thing. He pulls a, a, a group of radio stations that are supposed to sound like my radio station, and then we kind of look at what they're doing and compare it to what we're doing, and you kind of get an estimate, you know, an estimate of where, if we're in the ballpark. He's had a hard time finding stations that are exactly like what I'm doing here. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just trying to make it a great-sounding radio station for this peninsula. If that doesn't line up with what somebody's doing in Oregon or, or Kansas or whatever, I'm sorry. But they don't deal with the same things we do. They don't live the same life we do. They don't have the same competition we do. So, numbers are great. Championing the, uh, the, the artist is great. Championing, championing the artist is great. But all that... I think we need to get back to the program director. Wolfman Jack and the other early disc jockeys were the gatekeepers. Record labels, record promoters, band promoters would bring the music, tapes and 45s and CDs and whatever, and say, play this. And they would go, yes, no, they would listen to it. In radio, especially back in the days of, of records and CDs that I came in on the tail end of, I had what I called the short stack. I listened to every CD single that came in and every album that came into my radio stations. I had multiple stations. I would get a sometimes one of those big carry-all boxes from the, the mail. It would have that much music in it. And I would listen to them, and if I get 60 seconds through it and it sounded pretty good, that would go in the short stack, and maybe. If I listened to it for 60 seconds, I went, wow, that's a great song. That would go immediately on the radio. And then for most songs... We're never going to play that. It goes into the, the goodbye pile. <laughs> and to this day, I have a short stack. It's a folder on my hard drive. But there's songs when they come in during the weeks that I'm not doing the ads. It's usually Monday night. By the way, tonight's Monday night, and I had some time before I can report this week's music. So this is why we're talking about radio, too. Um, I don't always have time to sit down and, and make notes or whatever, but... If I listen to something and go, ah, oh, that could fit on one of the radio stations, I'll put it in a folder. And then on Mon when Monday comes back around, I have a shorter list of things to listen to to possibly put on the radio stations. Thank you for listening to this podcast, just babbling about radio. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please do so. Um, I'm a program director who came from the old school, learn how to do it the new school way, and kind of use a combination of going forward. But I know there are some radio programmers out there who never had the benefit of doing it the old way. It's kind of like with digital editing. If you never edited on tape with china markers and razor blades, you really don't kind of get digital the way we get digital. 
For them, it's a computer program. For me, it's just a, a visual version of what I did physically. It's an extension of that. And so it's easier for me to comprehend and what I need to do. But same thing with radio programming. A lot of guys didn't have the 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 background of being actual, actual spin vinyl and CDs on the radio and having to pick 12 to 15 songs for an hour and if you don't play from one song to second song it doesn't get played you know now we all have automation systems and such benefit of being uh, you know the foot in both worlds and here we are in 2022 moving forward what's going to happen with radio I think that radio needs to be a unique thing. I think when you turn it on, it shouldn't sound like the same radio station anywhere else. It should sound so unique, you want to take it with you if you left the area. You know, it it's so germane to that area, so so just fits that. And I, that's what I impart to all my disc jockeys on a daily basis. Talk more about local stuff. That's what people want to hear. We all want to be part of the team and part of the group and and. You know, if they hear that you stopped at this red light or you dealt with this traffic problem that they dealt with this afternoon, you're more endearing to them. So going forward, radio stations need to embrace the unique, embrace what's different about them, their area, their programming, whatever. That is how you differentiate yourself. Because look, these days I can go on the internet and I can find any radio station of any kind anywhere any kind of music, any kind of area. I want to listen to country songs at the beach. I want to blues songs in a dark city. You know, you name it, I can go find that radio station or that programming or that uh, stream, that streaming something somewhere, right? That playlist. So when we program radio stations, make it the best what it can be. I don't care about the 30 other stations that play the similar kind of rock that I do. Let them follow me. Let me figure out what makes this best. When I'm listening to it, what would make it a better thing for the person who's listening? If it makes me happy, it's probably going to make them happy because, well, I'm kind of programming to myself because I fit the demographic of this particular radio station kind of thing. Embrace the uniqueness. I've been saying in podcasts for three years now that service is what's going to win. When everybody sells the same items at the same price, service. You know, you could go to three different restaurants. They serve the same food. It's all the same price. Which one are you going to go to? You're going to go to the one that gave you the best service. You're going to listen to a radio station. You have, you know, 10 radio stations in town to listen to and two or three of them play similar kind of music. Which one are you going to listen to? The one that fits you the best. The one that gives you the best service. The one that makes you feel like you're part of it. So listen to my radio stations if you like them. And if you have a suggestion, please, that, that's part of it. And I'll tell you whether or not that suggestion is, a, is, is viable for that radio station because more than anything, you know, I know what that station needs to sound like. That's my job. That's, I am that gatekeeper. That's what program directors should have always been and, and still should be today. So protect your programming. Have fun with it. Use all the tools at your disposal. But in the end, the station's got to sound like the station you want it to sound like and not what somebody else wants it to sound like. Make people happy with music. It's a wonderful job. Scott Hamilton, Rockfile. My links are below. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.